Hey guys, this is Everything Missing or Murdered Podcast. My name is Andrea. Um, I hope everyone's having a great night tonight. Sorry for how messed up I sounded last episode. I was nervous and had a lot of problems and it took me a while to record. And so today I was like, maybe I should just re-record it. But um, it's done and over with and I apologize. So if it sucked and you don't want to listen to part two and I don't have anyone listening to part two, I apologize. It's just, I was nervous, even though I don't know why I still get nervous. Um, It's just me talking. But I'm talking to all of you and I'm trying to talk about these cases and get them out there and talked about because they deserve to be solved, every single one of them. Um, So here we are. Okay, so the question I asked last time was, um, you know, do you guys think it was one killer or two killers? I'm not an expert. I don't expect any of you guys to be an expert. Um, And I don't consider what I think is fact. I'm not going to say what I say is fact, but I definitely think it was one person. And, um, the evidence just to me proves that it's one person. And if it's multiple, I hope that they're all put, brought to dust, excuse me, brought to justice. I really hope that happens. And I messed up. Um, so I said that Valerie Mack was known as a Manorville Jane Doe until May t- 2002. It's 2022. I, I apologize for that. So I'm fixing that. And yeah, so hopefully um, the ones without any names get names and hopefully their murders are solved. They deserve to be solved. The police use new ways to search the area. They started using helicopters to find places of interest. They would mark these on a map as places of interest, about 90 spots in the area. So basically what's happening here is that they're looking for more remains a lot, or more evidence at this point. A lot of officers from Suffolk County and the surrounding areas were sent to participate in the searches. They used equipment to trim and cut the areas that were too rough to walk around. They took fire trucks and use the ladders and have officers on top looking down at the ground. The weather was getting bad again too at this point and they had to wait until it got better. So the earlier victims were dismembered. Their bodies were cut up with the identifiers removed. If we are going to think this is one killer, sometimes they tend to change the way they do things. The woman with her torso that was found first, Jessica Taylor, this person removed her head and her hands to keep the fingerprints and dental records. And let's not forget her tattoo that they tried to damage. And also, Jessica and Jane Doe number 6 from Manorville, um, Valerie Mack, their body parts were split up by about 40 miles. And the woman who had been killed with her child is what we're assuming. They were placed not even, yeah, about 7 miles apart. It's, It's weird. This was this the per- was this person comfortable with the area? Maybe he or she could be local and knew the area well. And the area off of Ocean Parkway would be a good spot because it was not traveled much. The terrain alone was harsh, and not to mention the weather. A former NYPD lieutenant, Commander Vernon Gerberth, spoke out about the one killer theory. 
I wouldn't be so quick to be talking about multiple killers. The probability of having two serial killers using the same dumping grounds is odd. I am looking at a serial killer who was basically who has basically progressed. He has become more effective at disposing of the bodies. He doesn't have to go through all the work of decapitating his victims. My thing is, how odd would it be for two people using the same area to, you know, place their the, the remains? I mean, is that possible to happen? I don't know. I've always thought that. I was like, well, why would you think, why would two people use the same areas? I mean, maybe, maybe the, if we're thinking it's two, splitting it into two, the first, like the, the, um, older set of victims, um, they were different. And then that, whatever happened to that person who was doing it stopped. And then a new person came along. I mean, I guess, I guess it's possible. It's disturbing to think about. Um, but I see a lot of comments about that. A forensic pipe, uh, psychologist, N.G. Barrow, said that coincidence in and of itself would be remarkable. Two killers sharing similar victim types while also placing them in the same area wouldn't happen. Again, I don't really know. Who knows? Shannon Gilbert has been missing for a year at this point, and her mom, Mari Gilbert, kept trying to get information from the police. Mari tried to get media's attention. Shannon went missing, and if she didn't, these women probably never would have been found. So it, I understand the frustration. Mari talked about Dr. Peter Hackett showing up at, uh, you know, showing up at his house with the documentary crew. She talked to him about the phone calls he made to her on May 3rd, 2010, he denied knowing about this, but that didn't stop this from happening. Mari made claims that Peter provided pres prescription drugs for people in the neighborhood with help by two neighbors who had homeowners association disputes with Peter and testified to this. Mari also questions Peter's claims that he knew nothing about Shannon's disappearance. I don't believe he knew nothing either because why call these there's proof he called someone and, and, you know, Paul Logs don't lie. Either him or somebody that he knew used, you know, his wife's phone to call. Totally innocent until proven guilty. It's just odd. Suspicious. Gus Coletti, remember him? He opened his door to Shannon on the night he... And, well, that night, and he's apparently a friend of Peter's lived right next to him, and they didn't discuss the matter. It's it's weird. Her family was trying to push for the 911 calls to be released to the public. That call has not been released at this point. The main rumor is that she went from one jurisdiction to the other on a over 20-minute call, and there could be information on it that they didn't want to let out, so they're not going to release it just yet. Mari Gilbert pushed for the marsh behind Peter's house to be dug up. Peter lived next to Barbara Brennan, who was the last house that Shannon went to. He at first didn't want them to dig up the marsh or drain it, I should say, but then he okayed it. They started searching on December of 2011. 
On December 6th, they searched the marsh behind Peter Hackett's house. They found Shannon's purse and some things that belonged to her, her cell phone, and a pair of jeans. Remember John Malia? He was also helping the search. On December 13th, the police found human remains. Um, and they knew it was Shannon because of the identifiable metal plate in her jaw. A candlelight vigil was held. They think she died of the ailments at first. She had bipolar disorder that was not treated. She had a drug problem and an alcohol problem. So she probably was just out of her mind and wound up in the marsh and, well, died from the elements. She was found not too far from Ocean Parkway. There would have been cars out and about if she was having an emergency. Why didn't she go to the road for help? The water levels were low that day, less than a foot, so if she drowned, it was in six to eight inches of water. Not that that's in, not impossible, but when Shannon was found, she was not wearing her jeans, and she was found lying face up. Who drowns lying face up in six to eight inches of water? I mean, I guess it's possible, but that's just something to think about. She was missing two, um, she was missing highway bones in her throat. So the theory is that she was strangled, but that's not what the Suffolk County Medical Examiner thinks. I mean, maybe it was damaged some other way or an animal did something. I don't know. In May of 2012, Shannon Gilbert's death was ruled as accidental. They tested for any cocaine and didn't find any, but they tested on the outside. What about the highwood bones? And they totally ignored those. Why did they only test for cocaine on the outside? I don't even know if you can test. I mean, because so she's been missing for a year. I can't. I didn't really see the extent of her remains, but I'm sure it was at the point where you couldn't test for stuff inside. Maybe. To this day, they rule her death as like undetermined I mean at the time they ruled it accidental but it's more like an undetermined feeling I don't think this was a coincidence to be honest her going missing and then all those victims found I don't a new commissioner came in 2012 a man named Edward Weber he sided with Thomas Boda's idea that there's multiple killers at least three I don't know where they get three from or two in October 2012, Hurricane Sandy came to the East Coast and caused a lot of damage. I wonder how much this impacted the case, though. It was a lot of damage. There is a theory that these murders were related to the eastbound Strangler in Atlantic City. There were four prostitutes found outside a motel. This person killed these women between October and November 2006, and they were clothed and facing east. Guess what? One of the victims in Atlantic City was friends with Amber Costello on Facebook. According to Dave, or excuse me, according to, I don't know why I said that name. According to um, Amber's roommate um, at the time, he thinks that Amber knew her killer. He heard some of the conversation and it just seems like she knew this person. The victims of Long Island and the victims of Atlantic City have not been confirmed to be connected, but it, in my opinion, it's worth noting. A man named John Bitroff lived in Manorville of Long Island and was married and had kids. 
In 2014, his brother Timothy was arrested on charges of criminal contempt for violating an order of protection. Police take evidence from him and check in in their DNA database. Someone related to Timothy pinged in the computer. In the 90s, two women in Manorville had been strangled, beaten, and left for dead. Their um, their remains had been posed in a way that they were linked together and their killer wasn't caught for two decades. John Bitroff's DNA matched in the two cases. He was tied to another similar crime that happened in November 1993. He is not connected that we know of um, for the victims of Gilgo Beach. John lived not very far from where the torsos were found and how have they not looked into him being involved in these cases. Remember, some killers adapt. So if you really think about it, he did nothing to hide in the 90s and then he adapted as he grew. One of his supposed victims, um, Rita Tangretti, had a daughter. She became best friends with Melissa Bartholomew, which is crazy. There has been no real leads on suspects. Some people suspect Akeem Cruz. A year after Megan Waterman went missing, he served a 20-month sentence for drug trafficking and other prostitution charges. Megan's family plead with the police to keep him there until she could be found, and he was sentenced for three years because he violated the man AXR transporting Megan over state lines for prostitution. He did not cooperate with the police. Some people have tried to link Joel Rifkin, another serial killer who lived in Long Island area. The earliest victim that we know of was in 1996, two years after Joel started serving his life sentence. Maybe they were inspired by him. I don't know if this is the right person. People still think that Michael Pack, Joseph Brewer, and Dr. Peter Hackett could be involved too. All three years. <laughs> They were also easily dismissed, so I, I get it. Joseph and Peter moved away from the area. Their lives were ruined, and I totally get that. The police looked into this being a police officer. <laughs> Nothing comes of it. The only person, or excuse me, the only reason is because whoever called Amanda, Melissa's sister, seemed to have knowledge of police tracking techniques. He knew when to get off the phone, called from a populated area, and knew how to cover his tracks. But, you know, a lot of people could do that. One of the final clients for Maureen Bernard Barnes was a Staten Island police officer. He was acting as a client. Plus, this person masked his IP address, so maybe they had knowledge on computers. You don't have to be super smart to know how to do that, but anything is possible. Remember, most of the victims were drug users. What if the killer was a drug user as well? Maybe that's how they were lured. Anything is possible. Somebody in Amber Castillo's group um, of friends said that um, the police should look into the fact that the killer could be a, a known drug dealer. What about the burlap sacks the four women were put in? The killer had access to them. People have pointed out that 
some parks nearby, like a park ranger who might have access to that sort of thing. But again, I don't know. When a potential serial killer is happening, the FBI tends to give assistance. Serial killers cross state lines, so that makes sense. The FBI created a profile for this killer in 2011. They came up with him being between his late 20s and his mid-40s, that he is a white male who has a girlfriend or married, that he is educated and works a good job. He probably had to get poison IV treatments because the brush on Gilgo Beach, no doubt. Yeah, I wonder if anyone thought about that because I didn't even think about that. They also said that this person had easy access to burlap sacks or found a a way to buy some. The Suffolk County did not want their help, though. In 2014, a police chief by the name of James Burke was arrested because of a corruption scheme. He took advantage of his position to get away with criminal activities. It was in drug dealing and confessed to driving drunk on the job. His um, He did physically and verbally torture a prisoner who had taken his SUV and found a bag of sex toys. James pled guilty in 2016, but this scheme goes up to Thomas Foda. James wanted to avoid the FBI because of this. He just wants to be a corrupt cop, yet you have all these victims that need justice. James who James was kicked out of office and pled guilty to charges of corruption. In December 2015, the FBI said they were joining the investigation of the Long Island serial killer. They honestly should have a long time ago. The police had always had this theory about Shannon Gilbert. After she meets up with Joseph Brewer, the, she runs off in drug-fueled state where she eventually fell into a marsh and drowned. No drugs were found in her system, and her cause of death was ruled inconclusive. Mari Gilbert has always said her death is unnatural. She put some blame on Peter Hackett, and she got an attorney to file suit against him for her death. Mari and her attorney hired Michael Baden uh, um, because he was a New York State medical examiner. Performed a second autopsy on Shannon Gilbert. In February 2016, Mari's attorney made the results public. Michael Baden, and um, he said that Shannon's death was strangulation because her larynx and hyoid bones are gone. Do you want to know what 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 he said after this? The police... Not him, but the police, the Suffolk County police, the one that she spent 23 minutes on the phone with, the ones that didn't go looking for her after a month. Not after a month, but they didn't start looking for her until, yeah, literally after a month. They still never looked at her disappearance as a homicide or her death. In July of 2016, Mari Gilbert was killed by another one of her daughters. Um, she had some issues with schizophrenia, so um, she was in the hospital quite a few times, and weeks before the murder, it manifested in a bad way. Part of that is because she was off of her medication, and 
So unfortunately, Mari never got to know. I mean, she knew what happened to her daughter, but she never got to see justice for her daughter, unfortunately. In December of 2015, two women were found in the woods outside of Brockton, Massachusetts. The FBI looked at the case and saw the killer as someone who had killed before and would do it again. One victim was 50 years old and the other was 20. They both were prostitutes and both known to have issues with drugs. In July 2015, a person working in Charleston, West Virginia, a client, a middle-aged man, turned violent. She fought and grabbed his gun and she and shot and killed him. The man is Neil Falls. Maybe he could have been a serial killer. He had a lot of devices to kill and dispose of a body if she fought him. They tracked Neil's steps. His victims all worked as prostitutes and advertised their services online. To this day, we have no idea who the Long Island serial killer is. This should be solved. It should. These women deserve justice. The Jane Doe, Baby Joe Doe, and John Doe deserve a name as well. Someone knows something. It's not right for this to go as far as it has without answers. I still say if 24-year-old Shannon Gilbert did not go missing, they never would have found these victims. Unfortunately, they do not think she's at all tied to this because of the manner of her death. I personally think she should be. No, I am not. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I am not a cop. I have no idea how to go about investigation at all. I don't want to try and investigate it. I'm just explaining my personal views. I do not consider them fact. But I personally think that Shannon Gilbert is a victim of the Long Island serial killer. And to this day, they still don't think she is. It's, it makes me angry. Because this cannot be a coincidence, in my opinion. I don't believe in coincidences. Her death is undetermined. Shannon's representatives have tried for a very long time to get her death to be treated like a murder, and it should, honestly. They hired a forensic pathologist by the name of Dr. Michael Dadden to do an autopsy in 2014. She was found face up, she couldn't have drowned, and her hyoid bone was gone, or damaged, and that happens with strangulation. Police Chief James Burke and District Attorney Thomas Spoda left their jobs and got into some legal issues. What about Shannon nine, Shannon's 911 call? Why wasn't that released? If her death was truly accidental, why does it matter if it's released? She ran out on a client on May 1st. He has claimed time and time again that they had nothing to do with what happened to her. Michael Pack says that she left in a psychotic state because maybe of her bipolar disorder mixed with drugs. In that phone call to dispatch, she claimed they were trying to kill her. Did they hear other voices in the, on the line? Did she describe if anyone was after her? But for some reason, they don't want to release it. Apparently, the phone calls is part of an ongoing criminal investigation. But yet, they won't call her death a murder. Does that make sense to anyone? It does not make sense to me. Now, I completely understand not releasing information to the public. Some things we just don't get to know because of the investigation that has yet to be solved. But if her death has not been connected to the Long Island serial killer victims, why won't they give her 911 call out? 
The police eventually linked skeletal remains from Jones Beach State Park to the dismembered remains of Jane Doe called Peaches. She had a peach tattoo located on her left breast. She was found in a wooded area off Hempstead Lake State Park in Lakeville, New York in June of 1997. DNA testing linked them to some that was found on Gilgo Beach. Peaches is the mom of Baby Doe. She's the one that was found seven miles away from Baby Doe. In July 2017, John Fetroff, remember him? He was convicted of two consecutive 25-to-life sentences for the murder of Rita Tangretti and Colleen McNamee. Suffolk County was asked to comment, but they didn't. They may be possibly linked to the Gilgo murders, but it's an ongoing investigation. In 2012, an SUV that belonged to James Burke, was taken by a man named Christopher Logue. The SUV was full of weapons, ammunition, cigars, and duffel bag full of sex toys and porn. James asked Christopher, or excuse me, arrested Christopher and watched as someone beat a drug dealer up, and that got him to the police of the Suffolk County to be looked at by the FBI. James has been a tr- in trouble a lot and had help from the Thomas Spoda, so to, you know, cover it up. In November 2016, James Burke was sentenced to 46 months in federal prison for the crimes such as violating prisoners' civil rights and obstruction of justice, which is insane. Then, in October of 2017, not insane, bad, insane, interesting, 2017, Thomas Bodo was indicted on charges of obstruction of justice. He conspired with James and someone that helped James messing up an investigation against James. Thomas Boda resigned on November 10th, 2017. What does this have to do with anything? Thomas strongly believed the Gilgo Beach murders was done by many killers, not just one, so maybe he was trying to say that to keep him from getting looked at by the higher-ups. It's just a theory. In December of 2016, a sex worker signed an affidavit saying that she had personally been with James Burke in Oak Beach in Long Island several times and they got involved in rough sexual acts with others as well. They did drugs too. One apparently took place in 2011, not far from the, not far from some of the victims that were found. It's interesting to say the least. Again, for this one, just a theory. It can't be a coincidence. Back to the 911 call. On May 13th, 2022, the police released Shannon Gilbert's 911 call. However, they didn't talk to her family about it and didn't let them listen before they just released, which is odd. I want to break down the 911 call and I will get to it. But before I get into it, here is a timeline of the victims. And there's, I'm mentioning victims not leaked officially because if I, I will be naming Shannon Gilbert, I feel like other unsolved cases that could possibly be linked should be mentioned too. I told you this was a long one because um, it, this has been going on for a lot longer. 
we are going to jump way back to 1982. Tina Fogliela, um, she was 19 years old. On January 31st, 1982, Tina's dad saw Tina leave the house to go to Hammerheads. It's a bar. She was wearing a white jacket, black pants, and shoes. Her family told the police that she went to the bar to see a friend of hers in the band, Equinox. The family could not get her a car for the night, so she will have to find her own way home that night. They think she hitchhiked. At 3 a.m., Tina was seen at Hammerhead's bar on Sunrise Highway and West Islip. Not sure what day specifically, so on February 2nd or February 3rd, Tina Foglier um, was reported missing. On the night of February 3rd, some workers on the highway were just picking up trash. It was just like any other night, and they found Tina's partial remains in plastic bags along an exit ramp from the north and south. Or, excuse me, not from the north and south, from the southern state parkway to the Sagtico's state parkway on North Bay Shore. Sagtico's parkway goes north and south. The south leads to Robert Moses Castaway, which gives you a route into Captree State Park. After that, Ocean's Parkway, that runs to Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach. A footprint was left at the scene, and Tina wore a ring a lot of the time, and this time the ring was missing. On February 6th of the Suffolk County, Chief Deputy Medical Examiner says that Tina Fogula died from asphyxiation from being smothered. The next day, an unknown person close to the investigation told the media that Tina's body was dismembered with an instrument, but no one released further info. In February 2017, we find out that Tina's sister found that before her death, she must she met a man at the Hammerst, Hammerhead. She really liked him, and she was able to, and she was told he was a doctor. Tina talks about it in the letter, but never says it. His name. Her sister also mentions. The police interviewed a lot of male friends and band members. The state police tells the media that Tina's case is a candidate for early DNA familial search, a program that police hope to launch in the fall of 2017. Familial searching looks at Y chromosomes that are common among brothers, fathers, uncles, and sons. The male DNA found on Tina has not had a hit in CODIS. My state police hope and say that the testing might not show the idea of the killer, but hopefully close enough to find someone related to the person. We jump ahead to April 20th, 1996. The two female legs that were wrapped in a bag were found on the bayside shore of Fire Island, the Fire Island Jane Doe. Who needs a name, please? She was found a mile from Davis Park Beach. Her skull was found on April 11, 2011, west of Tobey Beach in Nassau County, Fire Island Jane Doe, Jane Doe number 7. June 28, 1997, a little over a year late, later. 
The dismembered torso of a young African-American female was found in Hempstead Lake State Park, New York. She had a peach tattoo and her left breast, so they nicknamed her Peaches. The police think she was killed not too long before she was actually found. Remember that on April 11, 2011, the police found skeletal remains in a plastic bag by Jones Beach State Park. They called her Jane Doe Number 3, but on December 2016, Peaches and Jane Doe Number 3 were identified as the same person. They did a DNA analysis to match Peaches and Baby Doe, and it is. She was the mother. November 19, 2000. The torso of a woman was found by hikers in the Long Island Pine Barrens in Manorville. The torso was found wrapped in garbage bags and was left in the woods near Halsey Manor Road. They named her the Manorville Jane Doe. On April 4, 2011, a skull, a pair of hands, and a right foot were found in a plastic bag near Ocean Parkway on Gilgo Beach. They called her Jane Doe Number 6. In May of 2020, the police identified the Manorville Jane Doe as Valerie Mack. She was just 24 years old. I mean, sorry, 2022. <laughs> On November 23rd, 2000, some hunters fixed, uh, excuse me, found some remains of a white or Hispanic man in the woods off the eastbound side of the Long Island Expressway by exit 68 in North Shirley. She has black hair and was wearing blue and white striped Gap boxer shorts. He was from the age of 30 to 45, 5 foot 6 to 6 feet tall, and weighed between 130 and 150 pounds. He had a surgical staple in his chin. He had traumatic injuries that included a crushed larynx. This victim is not really linked, but it's worth noting. July 26, 2003. A dismembered torso of a female missing her head and hands was found in Manorville, New York. A tattoo on her back had been mutilated. The victim was later identified as 20-year-old Jessica Taylor. That was only after they released pictures of her tattoo. On May 9, 2011, a skull and a pair of hands and a forearm was found on March 29th at Gilgo Beach. They were matched to Jessica Taylor. I wonder why this person would place them one place and other parts of them somewhere else. It's weird. Really didn't want them identified, I guess. Which is depressing, really sad. November 10th, 2003, remains that were badly decomposed were found in Manorville, about 400 yards off the Long Island Expressway by Toppings Path. A hunter found these remains in a wooded area about three miles away from where Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack were found. An autopsy was inconclusive. The remains were of a male, white, about 35 to 50 years old, 5 foot 6, and possibly died four months before being found. This victim was identified in 2015, but their um, family did not want their name released. But this is an active murder investigation and he has not been linked, but since this person was found not too far from Jessica and Valerie, it's worth talking about. March 3rd, 2007. A suitcase had the dismembered torso of an unidentified Hispanic or light-skinned African-American female that came up on a beach of Harbor Island Park in 
Mamaroneck. Later, her legs were found in a different area of Long Island. There was a stab wound on the torso. She had a tattoo of two cherries on her right breast. She is known as Cherries. This victim is not linked, but it's definitely worth talking about. July 9th, 2007, 25-year-old Marine Brainerd Barnes was last seen in her room at the Super 8 Motel in Midtown Manhattan. She left her house in Norwich, Connecticut to meet a, not, nor, excuse me, yes, to meet a client she booked through Craigslist, or so it is assumed. She was reported missing on July 14, 2007. Her remains were part of the four found by Gigwood Beach on December 13, 2010 by the Ocean Parkway. She had been strangled. On June 23, 2008, 39-year-old Tanya Rush was last seen around 3 a.m. walking to a subway station in Brooklyn. Her body was found on June 27, 2008 in Belmore inside a suitcase. She is not officially linked, but it's she's definitely worth talking about. July 12, 2009, 24-year-old Melissa Barthelme was last seen outside her apartment on Underville Avenue in the Bronx. She was supposed to have a thousand dollar night with a client on Long Island. Her sister got a lot of calls from a man using her cell phone. Melissa was found on December 11th, 2010. She was one of the four found by Gilgo Beach and she had been strangled. May 1st, 2010, 23-year-old Shannon Gilbert went missing after leaving a client's house in Oak Beach, she called 911, saying people were trying to kill her. She was banging on doors for help. After some months, her remains were found on December 13, 2010, in an Oak Beach marsh not too far from where she was last seen. May 3, 2010, Dr. Peter Hackett from Oak Beach called Shannon Gilbert's mom, claiming he ran a home for wayward girls. And when Shannon and seen Shannon on that morning, Peter has denied this repeatedly, though phone records prove calls from his phone called Mari Shannon's mom. So either he really did send phone calls or someone he knew did. Mari filed a wrong for death suit against Peter Hackett. Now, all I could find on that was that, um, the lawsuit was dismissed because it could not, it could not prove if he had anything to do with like drugging her or, um, taking, you know, that kind of thing because, um, the, the idea was that she was drugged, um, because in her 911 call and the fact that, um, Michael Pack even said she seemed high. So, um, it, it didn't, it didn't, it was dismissed, unfortunately. For the family, anyway. On June 6, 2010, 22-year-old Megan Waterman was last seen in Hapag, New York, walking to a convenience store. She was staying in a Holiday Inn Express and was seen on security camera walking out of the hotel at around 1.30 in the morning. Megan was found on December 13, 2010 by Gilgo Beach. She was 
one of the four found, and she was strangled. On September 2nd, 2010, 27-year-old Amber Costello was last seen by her roommate leaving her house in North Babylon to meet a client. The client had called three or four times and offered her $1,500 for her services. The police found Amber on December 13, 2010 by Gilgo Beach. She was, she is one of the four and she was strangled. December 11, 2010, the Suffolk County Police K-9 unit searched for Shannon Gilbert, and that's when they found the human remains of Melissa Barthelme. December 13, 2010, the police found three more sets of remains by Melissa Barthelme by Gilgo Beach, about 500 feet from each other. They were dubbed the Gilgo Beach Four. December 15, 2010, this is when the FBI tried to assist. The police seized a white SUV from Shannon Gilbert's client client's Oak Beach House. December 16, 2010, Suffolk County Medical Examiner Office reports the four remains found are all female and that Shannon Gilbert was one of them. They hold a press conference to talk about dental records, DNA comparisons, and facial reconstruction to identify these four women. January 19, 2011, is when the police identify Megan Waterman. She was reported missing in June of the previous year. January 24, 2011, is when they reveal the identities of the other three women, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa Barthelme, and Amber Costello. The Gilgo Beach Four. District Attorney Thomas Spoda said that a serial killer is responsible. All four victims worked as escorts um, slash prostitutes using Craigslist. Richard Dormer, the police commissioner at the time, also announced at this time that they were do- dealing, oh, excuse me, that they were stopping the search because of weather. March 29, 2011, Suffolk County police go back to Gilgo Beach to search for Shannon Gilbert. This is when they find a skull, forearm, and hands. These are the remains of Jessica Taylor, whose torso was found in Manorville in 2003. March 31, 2011, the police say the fifth set of the remains they found were not of Shannon Gilbert. April 4, 2011, the police find more human remains, three to be exact, along the Ocean Parkway between Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach. The remains of an Asian male dressed in women's clothing was found. The victim they really believe is transgender. The cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. There was a sketch released in September 2011, and I really hope that this person and anyone else that is unidentified gets their names back. It's not fair and wrong. A skull, hands, and foot was found. This is Jane Doe number six. These remains were linked to the Manorville Jane Doe, whose torso was found in Manorville in 2000. Sketches were released in September 2011. An unidentified female toddler known as Baby Doe was found wrapped in a blanket with no signs of trauma. April 11, 2011, the police find two more sets of remains in the area along Ocean Parkway. A plastic bag that had an upper and lower part of the body that was found by Jones Beach Park. DNA testing later shows that she is a mother of Baby Doe. This woman at the time was known as Jane Doe Number 3. A skull was found along Ocean Parkway west of Tobey Beach. 
she was Jane Doe number. Seven, and now she is the Fire Island Jane Doe because she matched to some legs that were found in 1996 on a Fire Island. May 9th, 2011, Suffolk County District Attorney Thomas Boda thinks this is not a single killer, but more than one. May 17th, 2011, Suffolk Police said that they are reviewing other homicide cases for links to the remains found along Ocean Parkway. The only case specifically mentioned... That they were, you know, looking into to possibly be linked was um, Tanya Rush. She was found on June 27, 2008. May 29, 2011, Dr. Peter Hackett wrote two letters to the CBS News. He admits to have called Shannon Gilbert, Gilbert's mom, in those letters. There's a website that I will be posting on my show notes. It's also under the first episode that has provided certain evidence items to show. And um, I won't be naming any names for uh, what the letters are to. Um, I just know they were sent to CBS News. There's two. Or I don't know if the second one was sent to CBS News, but I know the first one specifically was. So I'm going to be reading them to you. Any important story is worth getting right. In response to your letter, I will share only the facts. I am aware of when I heard the name of a person named Shannon Gilbert. She was already missing. I never met her. I never treated her, and I never spoke with her. She was never in my home. I greeted the people looking for her by chance. I recall the first people were Mike and Alex. I provided them with my calling card should I be able to help and encourage them to follow up with the police. I returned a call as requested since I had never met Shannon. It's obviously, it obviously did not have anything to do with permission to treat her. It was supportive and that was all. The call was last May and perhaps that is why it is being reported inaccurately. I also met some of her family when they came to our neighborhood on Mother's Day, May 9th, 2010, to post signs and go door-to-door asking questions. When months went by and nothing was heard, he assumed Shannon must have returned home. I am sorry that was not the case. I had nothing to do with anything that occurred the night Shannon went missing. I was home sleeping with my wife. The police continued their investigation. I, along with many neighbors in the community, have cooperated with them. I will not be granting an interview. I will not. Oh, yeah. Okay. So being a parent, I cannot imagine Mrs. Gilbert's pain. My wife and I keep her family in our prayers. One can only hope that the current media attention will assist in some new information that will lead to closure for the Gilbert family. Yeah, that's an interesting letter to send. Okay, so two letters to CBS, sorry. I hope this letter answers some of the questions you raised when we spoke last Friday. I had met Shannon's boyfriend, Alex, and driver, Mike, when they came to my community to look for Shannon in the days following her disappearance. I gave them my contact information should I be able to help in any way. 
During my conversations with them, they asked if that I, that I called the family. My wife and I checked our long-distance phone bills. There is only one bill which has calls documented to Kingston, New York. It shows that I spoke with Alex on May 6, 2010, 7.20 p.m. and 7.25 p.m. Uh, he called someone else as his request, at his request and spoke with Mrs. Gilbert. We spoke for four minutes. On May 9, 2010, at 12.06, I called someone, and I think that was a sister's number. That call also was four minutes. These calls were over a year ago now, and exact content is difficult to remember, but at no time during any of my conversations with Shannon's friends or family did I suggest I had ever met her or render medical care of any sort to her. And I don't really understand why he called them. Like, because he heard she was missing? I don't know. As previously mentioned, I met with Mrs. Gilbert, her sisters, and friends in the presence of my guests and family on Mother's Day, May 9th, 2010, when they were distributing missing persons posters. We answered questions for them to the best of our ability. At no point were we dismissive. However, we emphasized the need to follow up with the police departments involved. We parted on friendly terms. I am perplexed as to why... Almost a year later, I became a person of interest to the family and media. I did not even know who Joseph Brewer was until after this incident. In May, my he didn't know who Joseph Brewer was until this incident. He lived next door to him. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know my neighbors, but that's just kind of weird. In May, my wife and I were preparing for both high school and college graduation. I drove across country with my eldest daughter to her new job since we had heard no news about the missing woman. We thought she may have gone home. In December, when the news reported a body found, we realized otherwise. You asked me why I didn't take a polygraph test. I was willing, but learned that certain health issues that I am being treated for would negate its results and therefore interpretation. Frankly, since I am not a suspect, it would be a waste of time and resources. I am allergic to dogs, but welcome the cadaver dogs to come through our home properly. They found no evidence. Once again, I emphasize my fervent hopes that Shannon is found alive, and if there was foul play, that justice can take its course. Well, what did you guys think of that? It's weird that he sent two. I understand one, but two? kind of weird but also worth noting because I like I said like he he admits to seeing um a call logs that said that he that obviously somebody called these people but why <laughs> doesn't really make sense Because, like, you didn't know them, so why are you calling them and how did you get their numbers? That kind of thing. I mean, I can understand wanting to help people out, but it's kind of weird. On November 29, 2011, the police commissioner, Richard Dormer, says that the police think one serial killer is responsible and that Shannon Gilbert is not connected. We believe it's just a coincidence that she went missing in Oak Beach and the remains and her remains were found on Gilgo Beach. 
I don't believe in coincidences when it comes to this, though, so I'm not going to go along with that. It's not fact. I just, that's my opinion. Um, December 6, 2011, Shannon Gilbert's purse, phone, and jeans were found in the search of the marsh. December uh, 13, 2011, Shannon Gilbert was found in the marsh a quarter of a mile from where her things were found. The commissioner said she is just a young woman who ran into the marsh in a hysterical state, fell down, and died. Okay, but how can you say she was hysterical? Why? Because of her 911 call? I mean, I would be hysterical too if two people were trying to hurt me. doesn't make any sense not to be freaking out. December 15th, 2011, Thomas Spoda does not think this is one killer. Edward Weber, Weber is interim commissioner to replace Richard Dormer, and James Burke is now the Suffolk County Police Chief for 2012. February 17th, 2012, some remains were found in a wooded area of Manorville of, uh, off of North Street and west of Wading River Road. The remains were wrapped in bed sheets, a plastic bag, and duct tape. Police said that the victim was male, and they think he was there for 15 years, or not 15, excuse me, five years. This is not linked officially, but it seems worth noting. May 1st, 2012, Suffolk County tells the media about Shannon Gilbert's autopsy. The cause of death is inconclusive. Her family does not think she drowned. January 23rd, 2013, he remains... Excuse me. The remains of a woman were found in a garage, garbage bag along the shore in Laddington, New York. The victim was wearing a 24-karat gold pig pendant, which might be a reference to the year of the pig. This woman has not been linked, but it's worth noting. March 16, 2013. Natasha Shigo was last seen leaving her house in Queens Village. New York. Her car was found along the Ocean Parkway by Gilgo Beach. Her wallet, ID, and some of her clothes were found in the sand. On June 24, 2013, Natasha's remains were found on Gilgo Beach, a mile from where her car was found. She is now officially linked, but or not officially linked, but the way that she was found and where she was found is worth mentioning. September 18th, 2014, Dr. Michael Ben was, who is a forensic pathologist, conducted an independent autopsy on Shannon Gilbert. The results released in February 2016. He said there is insufficient information to determine a definite cause of death, but the findings he did have were consistent with homicidal strangulation. He also said she was found face up, which if she drowned, why is she face up? That will always be my question. On December 10, 2015, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Tim Sini said that the FBI has joined the investigation. Why did it take so many years is beyond me. A person for the FBI conducted this. They have tried to assist before. July 23, 2016. Um, Shannon Gilbert's mom, Mari, was murdered in Ellenville, New York, by one of her daughters, which is its really sad that that happened and that it had to happen.
September 2017, Suffolk County Assistant and District Attorney Robert Biancavilla said that John Betroff was, um, who was a carpenter from Manorville, was being investigated for a connection to the remains found at Gogo Beach. In July 2014, John was charged with the murders of two women in 1993 and 1994. He is a suspect in the murder of a third woman in September 2017. He was found guilty and sentenced to the con- to two consecutive life sentences. January 2019, the state senator, Phil Boyle, introduced a bill for forensic science to use genetic genealogy to identify victims. November 15, 2019, a 54-year-old man named Andrew Frey from Long Island was arrested for trying to pick up two sex workers. He was charged with multiple counts of attempted sex trafficking and attempted kidnapping. The women who escaped, one was in July 2019 and the other was in October 2018. They jumped out of his car, handcuffs, knives, guns, rope, zip ties, and even manuals to not to how to not were found in a search of his house and a car. He was he has a history of being violent against sex workers. Is he connected? It's a very good question. And we will know more of that this week for part three. Yes, I'm doing three parts because there's still so much more information. Um, was this guy a main suspect? I honestly will, I will get into the suspects that they have for the um, Long Island serial killer. They don't really have specific names in mind, just certain people that give off the vibe or, you know, in general, it's not really because there's like a lack of evidence to really give the only interesting thing that I've learned from this is um, is the profile the FBI did. That you'd think that would help a lot, but apparently not so much. Um, but yeah, I will see you guys next week with the third part of this, and then uh, there'll be no more parts. I apologize. Um, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.